Welcome to This Week in Science, where I, um, your host, will be talking about the new drama this week on uh, dinosaur, in dinosaur and paleontology land. <laughs> so I'm Om, biochemist at Mc- from McGill University. I'm Sienna, I'm a neuroscientist at McGill University. And I'm Alistair, an analytical chemist from Queen's University. And we're the PhD3. At some point in the timeline, <laughs> just like these dinosaurs. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So, yeah, that's, uh, I'm going to be calling this episode T-Rex, more like T-Rez, as in Trez, like three. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it's a terrible joke because I have to explain it, but I love it. It's a good one. So, yeah, so there's been a lot of new uh, drama on the dinosaur market. Uh, I want to ask uh, you two, when you think dinosaurs, what do you think? What, like, immediately comes to your mind? And who's your favorite dinosaur? Uh, okay. Um, there was a movie slash series of maybe movies, kids' movies when I was a kid, called that featured Al the Allosaurus. And it was the life he lived. It was based off of, like, this one fossil, and they dramatized, like, a whole Allosaurus life. And I loved that. I loved it so much. So I think Al the Allosaurus was one of my favorites. But I also really liked Velociraptors, of course, because they're fast and dangerous, mm. just like me. Mm. I would say classic Jurassic Park. I that's what comes oh, yes. to mind. Love Jurassic Park. Love the movie. Um, mm-hmm. And my favorite dinosaur would probably be the Bronchosaurus because they're the ones with the long necks, right? Yeah. Bronchosaurus or that's Brontosaurus? Brontosaurus. Bronchosaurus okay. sounds like a, an illness in your throat. Like bronchitis. Brontosaurus. The bronchosaurus, mm-hmm. the one that smoked a lot. Had <laughs> <laughs> a voice like the this. coolest uh, dinosaur. Yeah. <laughs> my favorite, like my dinosaur, like my parents loved to make us watch Land Before Time. I love. Oh, Land Before I Time. loved Land Before Time. And the <gasps> Triceratops character, mm-hmm. the little cute the Triceratops. Sarah. Now, yeah, Sarah, adorable. Love her. She was one of my favorites. So. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not going to be talking about any of those dinosaurs, even though they're oh. awesome. Um, mm-hmm. There's less controversy about them because at the top <laughs> of the dinosaur pyramid exists the Tyrannosaurus Rex. Okay. Yes. And so the Tyrannosaurus Rex okay, is the topic of this week's uh, paper. Uh, although this came out a little while back, it has kind of hit the hot spot this week on the internet, particularly on Twitter, I would say. Um, mm-hmm. And so, uh, if you didn't know, T-Rex means, you know, tyrant lizard, Rex meaning king. Uh, and this title, uh, the title of this paper is The Tyrant Lizard King, Queen, and Emperor. Multiple lines of morphological and strat- stratigraphic evidence support subtle evolution and probable spe- speciation within the North American genus Tyrannosaurus. And this is published mm-hmm. by Gregory S. Paul, uh, W. Scott Persons, and J. Van Raalte. And so... At the core of this work uh, is this new determination with some nice data, honestly, where there may be more than one T-Rex species, particularly. Uh, and they've divided these uh, species into, I don't know, some of the most uh, archetypical names, I'll put it that way, based off the data they have. Uh, I would have picked some more fun names than this. Uh, <laughs> but they've stratified them into is now... The oldest being the T Imperator as an emperor, T Rex, the, T, the king, and T Regina, the queen. Whatever. These names. 
it could be better. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, I would have, yeah. I would have been like T, Apex, T, whatever. I would have been way cooler than that. Uh, I need more time to think <laughs> about Uno, it. T Dos, T Tres. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah, T Res. Oh, that would have been good. T Res would have been great. So, um, if you didn't know, <laughs> just to, you know, more nightmare fuel for us, uh, the T Rexes always, they've existed along the plains of Canada. A lot of the fossils are around there and move along mm-hmm. the southwest of the USA. So, this is, you know, gonna keep me up in my um, sleep <laughs> but before we get into the deepness of the paper i think we need to talk about what is a species what makes a species mm. and i'm gonna give away a bit of the answer right now which is that we're not really great at um, determining what makes a species and what doesn't um and so and there's a lot of assumptions that we have to make um a lot of assumptions we have to make based on assumptions we made about species without all of the data that we have now <laughs> i'll put it that mm. way so when you think about like the taxonomic ranks, we have our kingdom, phylum, class, order, family, genus, species. I think there was a song that people used to do. I never did it because I just have always focused on genus and species. Mm. And to bring it close to us, you know, Homo is our genus, Sapien is our species, right? That's that's to make it very simple. Um, and in the case of T. Rex, Tyrannosaurus is its genus, Rex being the species. And for a long time, it was thought, or at least has been accepted, I'll put it that way, that Tyrannosaurus rex was the only species within its genus, mm. okay? So we just accept, we're like, there's just one species. It doesn't really add up, I think, with what we know about most genuses or geni. <laughs> I don't mm-hmm. know what the right word for that is, but we have kind of accepted that, you know, there's usually a lot of different species within a genus. And we also even made yeah. that same presumption about ourselves, right? Uh, originally, we used to think that Homo sapiens were just, we were the only... We were special. We're the, yeah, we're the only homos. <laughs> um, but we found out later when with the fossil record and even now with genomic data that there, are, there were other species like the, think Neanderthals and think like Homo erectus, which is, more, which is one of our um, oldest ancestors. Mm-hmm. And it mm-hmm. goes on. I, I have a whole list of them, but, you know, uh, well, not, well, let's go through it. Uh, we have Antecessor. We have Heidelbergenus. I can't say that one. <laughs> Florisianesis, <laughs> which is like the short variation of humans. Uh, the short kings. Short kings. Uh, <laughs> Neanderthals and Naledi. And these are, you know, a lot mm-hmm. of, these are based, generally speaking, on like the fossil record. Mm. Um, so what, why now do we accept that there are different species? Why do we, are we okay with this? Within mm. the field of science or biology, I'll put it that way, um, we have two kind of ways of looking at what a species is. When we have DNA, I'll put it this simply, we have a really nice way to determine whether or not something is of the same species or not. And it's, it's nice, but it's not perfect. And originally was thought to be the idea with, of whether or not two different species, if they could interbreed and make a viable offspring, right, then they are the same species. But obviously that doesn't always work. We have a lot of examples. And oftentimes when two different species breed together, the offspring could be viable, but that offspring may not be able to produce more offspring. And so it's a question, mm-hmm. so that even buds the water even further, right? Yeah. And so like, you can think of like a horse and a donkey making a mule. Mm-hmm. And I think, Sandy, you had like the example of the seagulls, if you want to describe that. I think that was really cool. Yeah, so um, when I was in intro biology, whatever, there was this kind of case example of this. And I don't know where they are in the world. So I'm. this is like... You might have to do some extensive Googling to figure this out. But essentially, there's this sort of sequence of islands of seagulls. And um, 
each island, like there's different, I don't know if they're classified as different species or not. Maybe this has been figured out since I was in biology 101, which is like now years ago, but I don't want to say that. (laughs) But anyways, the point was that like the seagulls on the first island could breed with the second island seagulls. The second island seagulls could bring with the first and third island seagulls. And I think there was like five or six islands in this change, but the, the six island seagulls could not breed with the first island seagulls. But they were all able to breed in a chain and produce viable offspring. So it's kind of like this weird gradation of this offspring viability sort of situation. And there's like, I don't know what the reason was for the seagulls, why this is, but there's like a couple of different reasons why things may or may not be able to breed. One might be due to bio, like genetic capacity to like exchange DNA, essentially. Others might just be due to more environmental factors influencing when they breed and how they breed right so you can imagine if something has similar enough dna but doesn't have the same breeding cycle so they just aren't like fertile at the same time points then they can't interbreed despite potentially being able to share dna so there's i i don't know what the case was for the seagulls but you know there's potential explanations exactly so you can see that there's a lot of buddiness it's very interesting but it's it's complicated Mm -hmm. Um, and so in the case where we don't have DNA or that species isn't alive for us to examine, we have to like think fossils, right? Uh, <laughs> we have to use morphological data. So uh, different physical features, but don't think breed, like don't think like a dog. Those are more like subspecies within a species. Like that's dogs are all canine. And, dogs are all over the place. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we, we, we did a lot of engineering there. But so think mm-hmm. fossils like where we don't have DNA to um, Uh, sequence right Mm -hmm. and so this is kind of the baseline of how this work um, differentiates whether or not there's a t if you're a t-rex a t imperator or a t regina okay (laughs) and so they argue overall that the t um the the first of the tyrannosaurs was the t imperator and then gave rise to the t-rex and t regina which appeared to have coexisted together and I think a lot of like evolution, when pe- people think about evolution, they think like things happen in a chain, but they're not happening really within a chain. Mm-hmm. It's many species can exist within the same timeline. Like, like Neanderthals exist at the same time as Homo sapiens, to put it simply, right? And many species like think lions and leopards, like we talked about earlier, they're from the same genus, different species, they exist at the same time. It's not one after the other. And I think a lot of people think, when you think dinosaurs, they think like, there's one species happening and then the next species happening. And it's not quite like that. It's more of a dynamic evolution. Mm-hmm. And so what are the morphological differences that they discuss in this paper? Um, so they have 38 Tyrannosaurus specimens, okay? N equals 38, and that's an important thing we'll get into later. Um, and not all of them are full skeletons, bearing in mind, right? Mm. And so they have to kind of use different measures as a proxy to determine um, kind of like a wider set of morphological differences. So the first one they use is femur robustness. And I'll get into how they really uh, analyze that a bit later. But to put it simply, how robust or strong or dense or long circumference, all these kind of measures that fit into robustness is usually correlated with the full skeleton's robustness. And that's particularly at the femur because the femur carries a mass amount of the weight of the, um, of the body. And the second thing is the dental records, okay? Uh, which I thought was really interesting. <laughs> forensics. Is, yeah, forensics, right? Um, and they do a really good job here. I think they uh, have some pretty compelling evidence with the dental records where they looked at different teeth patterns and 
typically, uh, and it's accepted that different teeth patterns are suggestive of different species. Um, mm -hmm. And you can see that with like different animals, like if you're a herbivore or a carnivore, you will have different teeth as a consequence, right? Mm -hmm. um, this is also like, oh, sorry, I was just thinking of like, the reason why being if you're eating different foods, you're often developed or speciated into a different niche. And of course, like the classic, classic example of this in speciation is Darwin's finches, mm. which all kind of look the same, but all have very different beaks for very different food reasons. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Same thing and as teeth. Exactly. And so I want to also note that, uh, yeah, the T-Rexes have been were in existence at this time. And I think there's some variability here. It's except between two to three million years is what their timeline was. And it's important, this is a really strong argument for speciation, that many other species have speciated or become different species in less time. Um, lions and leopards, like I brought up earlier, speciated in less time. They've speciated within the past million years, I believe. Um, and also the Triceratops, which existed alongside the T-Rex, um, are, are thought to have speciated two, if not more, depending on who you ask. Uh, times throughout throughout this two to three million years. So it's not unfair at all to suggest that there could be multiple species. I think this is a super important uh, thing to kind of look into since we've kind of accepted the idea of species based on that presumption, mm -hmm. right? And so let's look at the data. So when I think of robustness, I think bone de density, thickness, quality, these kind of things, um, which is difficult to interpret with a fossil. And we can also have like differences in bone robustness while not ideal, like these could be pathological, like you could be sick, there could mm -hmm. be sex differences, these, these exist. Um, and this has been the presumption with the T-Rex for the, all this time that the differences we're seeing are you know, likely sex differences, but maybe it's, it kind of felt like, why not investigate more, right? Why are we just kind of accepting this one theory? Let's, let's look more. Um, and I'll get into some other theories as well a little bit later. And so the first piece of data here is the actual bones of the T-Rexes, which I thought was really cool to see. Um, <laughs> so they use the length versus the circumference is kind of their robustness measure. Um, so they validated this as well by looking at other bones. So they looked at, I had to learn a little bit of bones here because I don't know much. <laughs> I look at cells. So I'm like, these are all osteoclasts or osteoblasts. <laughs> but uh, in this case, they looked at the maxilla, which is like the top part of your head, top jaw. Um, they looked at the dentary, lower jaw, humorous, ilia, the femur, and metatarsals, your fingers, right? And so what they noticed was this correlation between if you have bigger bones, you have a, I should, should say, I wrote bigger femur, but I should say more robust femur is mm. more accurate mm -hmm. to say, right? And so this correlated really well. And so they said, okay, femur is a great measure um, to move forward with this based on our samples. And so that's exactly what they did. It's a bit complicated, their figure, uh, how they set up their figures. Um, but you can see they have some partial uh, fossils here. Like you can see that, and they kind of like guesstimate on the remainder of this fossil. But mm -hmm. generally speaking, um, the longer bones were less robust, were like these more dense, smaller ones, right? With larger circumferences were considered to be the more robust ones. So they carried more weight, where the longer slender ones carried less less weight, mm. okay? Um, and so that's the first piece of evidence. So like, okay, we can stratify our dinosaurs into these different classes of like robust and less robust, all right? 
Uh, they use a word here. What's the word, Sienna? Can you provide Graysile? Yeah, graysile, which I don't like. Just say less robust. I don't know why we're... Just say 2.1 <laughs> robustness or 5.1 robustness. I don't know why we're being weird about it. <laughs> okay. Um, and so, yeah, there's a bit of subjectivity here. Like, a lot of people, when they saw this data, felt like... It's hard to say, right? Because robustness itself can be a measure of, like, the size of an animal... They can continue to grow until they die. But um, as the, an important thing here is that these bones from the actual um, less robust animals are longer at the end of the day, right? So it doesn't really add up. And I think yeah, me and Sienna were talking about this earlier. It doesn't really add up very well that these longer bones are coming from like dietary differences, right? Unless a more a higher diet would lend to a shorter but more dense bone. Not really, you know, often seen, mm-hmm. right? Essentially, so, yeah. yeah. The idea is that as you grow, you get bigger, but these fossils aren't scaling with size and density. They're like, some are longer but lower density and others are shorter and higher density. And you'd mm. think if it was all the same species and one was just younger, it would have a shorter and lower density bone mm-hmm. as exactly. opposed to a shorter and higher density. So, you know, the, the evidence so far could lending... Be, could Sorry, not be also. As it could be, could not be. <laughs> Exactly. It's it's hard to say the rationale within a within a species, mm-hmm. right? Uh, we would have to, we would have really had to have seen them to really be able to say what's going on here and make uh, a final assumption. But unfortunately, we weren't there. <laughs> fortunately, uh, <laughs> fortunately, and unfortunately. But even within humans, like I, I keep trying to bring this back to humans because I think it's just a little bit relatable. Even we have changes within our species. Like the mm. first, I think some of the earlier fossils from humans were from like two thousand years ago. Uh, oh, sorry. I'm going to say 20,000 years ago. My mistake. Um, and where we used to have more delicate or less robust cheekbones, for example, and have developed mm-hmm. more robust cheekbones as we've gone uh, through time, right, the past 20,000 years. So these things can change internally. Um, and why we've developed these differences over time, who knows? It's, it's a little bit difficult to say. Um, there's a huge amount of factors that could be lending to uh, all these uh, changes. Okay. So... Robustness first measure. Um, and then they take this further, right? Because uh, they compare their femur robustness, right, to other dinosaurs that, that we have some really nice femur robustness data for. Uh, in particular, they use the allosaur, which is often confused for the T-Rex, very similar. Um, but when in the, in the bones that they've designated allosaur, they see a really, really strong correlation, right, between like the circumference and the length of the um, bone. But when you compare the the T-Rex, it's way more variable, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. And in fact, can be striated into these uh, two classes, robust versus not robust, right? So that's number one. We have an interesting comparison uh, for robustness. And then they take it one step further where they compare the teeth, the dentiary uh, of these teeth, uh, particularly the front three incisors that they have right at the beginning of their jaw, which is, I just (laughs) think is so cool. and so this is a bit of stronger evidence, I think. I think because it, it strides even more nicely, I think. Mm. Um, where and the, the figure confused me as well here, but I had to yeah. look into it and find other people's explanations. But in figure A here, what these dinosaurs have is these two small incisors followed by a massive third incisor. So two small, mm-hmm. one massive. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side, they have this small, massive average <laughs> we'll put it that way <laughs> right 
And this, and so they call this the one tooth setup versus the two tooth setup, where the two two big teeth, followed by sorry, the small tooth followed by two big teeth is a two tooth, and then one massive canine, being on B. We'll put this image up on our social as well, being the, uh, one tooth setup. And what was interesting was that the one tooth setup tended to striate with the more or less robust bones, mm. right? Mm -hmm. So one tooth goes along with less robust, where two teeth goes with more robust. So that's very interesting. Now we're getting into some, uh, some real differences here, right? They're mm -hmm. correlating really nicely. And so is there correlation? Like I said, most of the time there was, and most of the time there wasn't. Some robust uh, T-Rexes, uh, for the time being, <laughs> um, have this like one-tooth setup, and some have a two-tooth setup. So it's like, why was that happening, right? Mm -hmm. um, when they looked into the fossil records, what was really interesting is that the newer fossils, or those like found um, at the higher layers of the Earth, right, more easily found, mm -hmm. suggesting that they are newer fossils, have one tooth set up and are less robust. Uh, and then there's another kind of set in between the two where they are robust but one tooth, and some have two tooth. It kind of looks like this kind of gradation. Mm. And then when you get to the oldest one, they're all very robust and all two-toothed. Mm -hmm. Super interesting. interesting. Exactly. Yeah. And so with this data, uh, there's a little bit more analysis that they do, but I think this is sufficient to kind of get the point across. They've uh, striated the, the uh, T-Rex species into three species. Mm -hmm. um, and based on the names, I feel like we can figure out which ones are which, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> <laughs> The more yep. slender is a different species, and she's the newest species, and I'm saying she because that's what they've designated her as, which is T. Regina, or Regina, okay? Uh, Meaning queen. Tyrant, tyrant lizard Girl queen. Boss. But, like, we don't know if they're Girl boss. Male. Yeah, we don't know if they're male or female. We, <laughs> based off the bones, it's hard to know. Um, mm -hmm. And then we have the more robust, plus double incisors, so those are the oldest. And those are T. Imperator, the emperor. And then we have our T-Rex, which has been shunted to the middle, which has robust with a single incisor, sometimes a double incisor, mm -hmm. which is now our T-Rex, who, mm -hmm. you know, he, he does it all, okay? And mm -hmm. like I said, like the, based on the depth of the fossil, T-Regina is the newest, T-Rex follows generally, oldest is T-Imperator. Um, the last thing that I thought was super interesting, because they talk about uh, not just the speciation, but also the, stratif the strat stratigraphic changes and evidence for this. Mm -hmm. If you didn't know, uh, North America used to be broken up into kind of three land masses by what was called the Western Interior Seaway. I had to find a map because <laughs> I was like, I can't picture this. This is cool, yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so the T-Rex, like I said earlier, like existed along the southwest up until the plains mm -hmm. Um, oh my god, that's the state superimposed over it too. Yeah, the U.S. is superimposed oh, exactly, wow. uh, where it would have been. And so you can see, like, into the lower plains, we can see where T. Rex may have been, and it moves along uh, down, uh, particularly along the coast. Like they, like most life, yeah, like to be near water, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so this looks like it's on kind of like just, um, just east of where the Rockies are now, pretty much. That's exactly. In case you know where Drumheller is yeah. in Canada, Drumheller is where these, a lot of these T-Rex fossils are found in Canada, and I think they follow down in a sort of a straight-ish line down okay. into the States. I'm not going to call it a straight line, but... 
British. A wibbly wobbly line down into the States from exactly. Drumheller. And so this is where the evidence, again, it fits very nicely with the fossil records where uh, as, so what happened originally was it was one landmass and then slowly the seaway kind of broke the landmass into three, right? And so you can see um, early on, like the, or I guess you should say the oldest fossils where Imperator is, you can see it kind of up higher along the coast and taking up a lot more area. And I'll put this uh, image up as well because I think it's it's one of my favorite images from the um, from mm-hmm. the paper. And then as millions of years passed, it started to the the seaway started to kind of come into the land and slowly kind of push the dinosaurs into a more secluded area, right? Mm-hmm. Where probably the first branch of speciation happened. Um, right around in this area here where I'm pointing, where we can start to see the T-Rex and the T-Regina really you know, show up. And by the end, where the newest fossils are, we have just T-Regina, okay? Um, so very cool. Like I think at the end of this is some really interesting evidence. Um, but of course, this has lent to a lot of drama in the, <laughs> the field because T-Rex is kind of unto- untouchable, right? Like. Mm. People have many different theories and ideas as to how, like, what these um, differences in T-Rex could be due to. Um, typically, they're due to, like, people believe they're due to either sexual dimorphism, so differences in the sexes, ontogenic, as in aging. So as they age, they somehow be, get longer femurs and get smaller. Um, and individual differences as well could also just explain this, right? One of the with individual differences, I tend to think of like sharks and things like that, where like mm. they kind of grow and like have like this nonstop cycle of teeth just growing randomly. Um, so maybe that could explain something like this, but I don't, I don't, I don't know enough about sharks or these morphological differences to say uh, yes or no. But I don't That'd think this wild. should, ex- yeah, I don't think this should exclude this as a possibility as well. And I think. Um, you know, discussing it with Sienna earlier as well, that this is something that's worthwhile to discuss, right? Um, I think where people are upset <laughs> is the naming, <laughs> to put it simply, mm-hmm. to like put a stamp on this. And I think uh, the authors themselves acknowledge this in their discussion, right? You know, we don't have the broad scope of data that we would like uh, in order to say all of this, that they, it is for sure a species. But in case we're right, we're going to go ahead. Here are and the names. Here are the names. Effectively, right? <laughs> and so, yeah, now a lot of different dinosaurs that are in different museums are being classified. The other issue is that of their N equals 38 samples they use, some of them are private collections as well. So the data is not easily accessible uh, for everyone to analyze as they wish. Mm-hmm. Um, but they do have some really nice raw data and charts and they show like their measurements. It's not like they're actively hiding, but I just mean to say it would be nice if it was open and available for anyone to analyze as they wish, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. Thoughts? Concerns? I I think it's very cool. And, um, yeah, this is... Reading through this and kind of thinking about it, like, uh, this is how science works. And when you were talking about stuff that's happening very recently, um, we can be right and we can be wrong. And... You know, there can be competing theories, and I think it's super cool that these people are proposing with some pretty good evidence that there are more than one species of Tyrannosaurus. So, mm. I love this paper as an example of 
(laughs) human subjectivity in science it's a Mm. really perfect example of that because like there's so many things they say in it and like all of this classification of paleontology that is just like this whole trying to group things into species by humans is so subjective and like yeah there's some funny sentences in that paper too they call t-rex a waste bin for fossils because everyone just finds a fossil apparently and classifies it as t-rex which is hilarious a hilarious way of putting it um but also like i guess rude to paleontologists who i think they're good at their you know like who take pride in their job and are like i don't just throw things into waste bins i (laughs) i've Mm. worked hard to classify this fossil as t-rex like i get it it's a little bit rude um there's the i have to talk about this because i am a woman (laughs) it's not that like i think we should go out um you know it's just of it's it's not a surprise but it is just like it's so obvious almost that they pick the slender gracile one and they call it the regina the queen and then it's also just so obvious that they say in the paper you know sexual dimorphism is a possibility to explain why there might be like a lot of individual variation within a species and that occurs in a lot of species a lot of species have like hugely sexually dimorphic i think one of the best examples are like the um angler fish <laughs> mm-hmm. because they're massive fish but the males are just like these tiny little minnows that like attach on to the females and then just get absorbed um essentially for their sperm mm-hmm. uh but <laughs> that aside so like sexual dimorphism exists that aside they say that like since the robust samples occur in like a two to one ratio of the gracile samples that would suggest that most mammals and reptiles if they are sexually dimorphic and if there is then a sexual dimorphic explanation of sort of ratios of males to females it's usually the females that are more abundant so they'd say that the robust ones would have to be female Mm-hmm. And that's like not a good enough explanation, <laughs> I guess. And I agree with them. I don't think it's a good enough explanation either that to just say all of the robust bones are female bones and all of the non-robust ones are male bones because also like a two to one ratio is pr- pretty rare, especially among larger species. We don't really see that as far as I'm aware in a lot of species that we know of. But it's also <laughs> just like these arguments. It's it's just funny. I don't know. I've never. I'm not a paleontologist, so maybe paleontologists like have a better explanation for why these arguments are made. But reading it, a lot of it felt like to me like human assumptions about fossils that we have like one femur for. Like this femur is too big to be a female femur yeah. <laughs> of this species we know nothing about. Yeah, and we've never seen, and we have no idea what they even. Well, no idea, but we have, like, a very minimal idea of what they even looked like in whole. Exactly. I was going to bring into, like, the whole feathers debate versus, like, yeah, whether they the have lips. Debate. Like, all these debates yeah. exist within dinosaurs. And what we'll, color they are. What color they are. We'll never really, like, no. We'll just be making mm-hmm. our best guess based off what we believe was happening during that era, right? And yeah. I think that will always confound us and will always... Like, at the end of the day, we're using T-Rex and other fossils to try and give mm-hmm. us information at a time where we had no information. So a lot yeah. of assumptions are being made, unfortunately. But it seems to some degree we need that, right? Mm-hmm. But I think that's also the debate. Do we need that? It's interesting. And I, like, I don't envy them. It's a really... It's a hard job and also, like what is the point of the job of classifying them into different buckets? And I don't, 
I don't really know. Like, I think it's useful probably generally to have a better idea of what the fossil record looks like. But also, you know, the speciation is hard enough on things that are living. You know, we mm-hmm. have a hard enough time defining species, depending on who you talk to. Like, we obviously do it all the time and we have a ton of defined species. But if you really start to narrow in on what a species is, and especially on things that are very similar, it can get really hairy and it can get mm-hmm. very granular. Yeah. And I was also saying, like, this is another, in the cell biology field, this comes down to defining what cell types are. Because now we have this thing called single cell sequencing, where you can kind of, like, look at a one cell's sort of essentially library of RNA and see what ones it has and what ones it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And then you can compare this among a bunch of different cells. And even cells that are very similar, if you want to, you can find ones that are different enough that you could classify them as different cells. And you can kind of get into this, like, clustering and subclustering of subclusters and yeah. what the use of that is even in yeah. the cell field depends on what your application is and i think here too i'm kind of like what's the use of classifying them into different species and i think i'd have to know what paleontologists are going to apply this to you know exactly but i don't know yeah and along that line of like the i think part of the reason is a little bit of ego here where there was mm-hmm. the possibility that a lot, and I think they acknowledge this in the paper as well, but that if it's not sexual dimorphism or ontogenic as an aging or individual mm-hmm. differences, it might be species. People are already debating whether there are two species. So let's get yeah. into the ring and let's name it now before like mm-hmm. that debate gets any further, right? Um, yeah. I think that's kind of what uh, a lot of the incentive structure was there. But I think yeah. the science, I think the science that they did. Very human incentive. <laughs> exactly. But the science that they did, I think is pretty solid. And I, I, I dare say rock solid. <laughs> so yeah I oh think that's, my god <laughs> yeah. so um yeah i think that's it this has been uh this week in science just as a reminder the paper here was published in nature evolutionary biology uh mm-hmm. the tyrant lizard king queen and emperor multiple lines of morphological stratigraphic evidence support subtle evolution and probable speciation with the north american genus tyrannosaurus long title by gregory s paul mm-hmm. scott persons and jay van Ralte. i've been on I'm Sienna. And I'm Alistair. This has been This Week in Science. Thank you for listening.